You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I spoke to a lady called Wendy Marsman and um, I actually spoke to Wendy last week as well. She interviewed me for her podcast and her podcast is called Women Beyond Belief and um, it talks about women who are leaving um, fundamental or oppressive religions. And so that's quite interesting. And we actually talked about eating disorders. And I have to admit that when Wendy reached out to me and asked me to be on this podcast, I was sort of like, why is she asking somebody who talks about eating disorders all the time to come onto this podcast about women leaving religion? And um, it became very clear to me that when we started talking that there's a lot of um, weight suppression and dieting within many fundamentalist religions on the side of the women, of course. And that fascinated me. Boggle blew my mind, I have to admit. Um, I grew up in a sleepy village in England with this wonderful community church, and we just all sort of ate cake and drank tea after church every time. And um, I had a woman who was the, the, the minister. We had, we had a female vicars. So it really actually just shocked me and I wanted to find out more so I asked Wendy to come on this podcast so we could actually explore just that side of it. Um, I want to make it very clear before we go into this, the aim of this podcast is not to bash religion, that's not what I'm trying to do and frankly that's not something I need to take on either, I have no interest in starting that fight. So this is not about bashing or religion, we are simply going to talk about Wendy's experience and how that affected her and her eating, and how diet culture can be made worse by certain sort of religious aspirations. So that's the deal. That's what we're at. Before you get all riled up, I am not attacking your right to believe in God. So please. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's get chatting to Wendy. So I'm a um, recovering... um religious fundamentalist who was born and raised in a very evangelical um, strict back uh, home and from the very beginning um, realized that my role in this world was to serve men and to serve people older than me and that was what was taught out of the Bible and so I had that example for me by my mom um, as she you know was a very strong Christian, and her goal was to serve the Lord by serving her her husband and her family. Uh, related to food, my parents came from very different backgrounds themselves, but came together, and went, by the time I was born, they were living in a log cabin um, in the backwoods and homesteading, meaning they grew all their own food and um, pretty much lived off the land. So that was the environment I grew up in. And they also had strict rules about um, obeying the parents. And so if I didn't obey um, obey them and eat all of the food on my plate, I would be spanked, um, hit with a stick. And I started dieting from, you know, my early teens onwards. And it was only until the last few months at the age of 47 that um, I was just sick of dieting and realized there's got to be got to be a better way. 
Well, so what I find, what really struck me, and I thought about it quite a bit after we'd spoken the other week, which is also what I want to talk to you about here, is that you mentioned that um, in many churches or church organizations, there are actually sort of diet clubs. Um, and that, that blew my mind because um, the church, the whole church scene is, is rather different, I feel, in, in England than it is in the US anyway. Um, but I, I've never come across that before. I've never come across, and it just seems incongruous to me that there would be a diet club as part of a of a Christian organization. But well, I had a bit of a unique experience um, in that I was also a missionary overseas for 15 years. Um, eight of those years were in Brazil, and so I worked with Americans. I'm actually Canadian, and have, you know, was born in Canada. Um, and I worked with mostly Americans because the mission we had uh, mostly had American uh, members. And one of them had come across a, um, a video series called The Way Down Workshop. And it, was, it had a workbook. And so shortly after my second uh, daughter was born, um, I was 29. Um, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm overweight again and need to go on another diet. And so these other ladies and myself would meet every week and go through the workbook and it was all based on the Bible. And so, you know, our body was supposed to be, is supposed to be a temple of, of the Lord. And so whatever we put in our in our body needs to be good and healthy. And, um, and so it, and it helped us lose weight temporarily. All of us lost some weight. And before that I had gone on several other diets, um, related to the church or related to the mission groups that I was part of, um, because it was very, um, the religion that I was part of was very um, segregational um, related to women and men. And so we, there once in a while would be events where men and women would interact in terms of maybe an adult Sunday school class. But in general, the women had women's Bible studies. Um, and so it was a logical thing for women to get together and do things together. And so, you know, when you have women already used to getting together, then you hang out with women. And what do women talk about, which is, you know, losing weight and stuff in our culture. So it was just a natural response. So there's been probably five and there was five, six other times that I've been on diets um, with, you know, with people in the church. But I mean, I, I only had friends with people in the church at that point. So it was a natural thing to just keep going on diets um, and and having scripture to back it up, you know, because your, your goal is to be perfect. Your goal is to put aside the sins of the flesh, and they saw that gluttony was a sin of the flesh. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely part of part of the religion I was used to. And, and also, I think that you mentioned something about the reason that these these sort of oh uh, diet clubs might exist in churches was the perception of what it is to be a good Christian woman, um, which is mm -hmm. it feels like that's saying well in order to be a good Christian woman you you have to be thin or which it just how 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 did that get like how did we get to that how did <laughs> How did whatever anybody sort of reading a Bible or or transcribing any of this? How did it how did it get to that that your appearance and your weight determine how good of a Christian you are? 
Yeah, I'm not sure where, you know, where it would have started. I've, I've been hearing a lot of different podcasts and some of them talk about, you know, going back to this person named Graham who actually created the Graham Cracker and how he was very much into restrictive diet, uh, restrictive food intake and, um, you know, whole grains and things. And that was a religion-based diet that he established. And so I, I think part of it is the culture um, of wanting to be skinny, but for the Christian woman, um, so much, so much about, um, Christianity that I was familiar with was avoiding sin. And so much of it was avoiding sexual sin. And because, um, as a Christian wife, your goal is to make your husband happy, which in turn will make God happy. Um, you know, what do men want? Men want women that they can you know, have sex with, and they're going to want pretty women and skinny women. And, and so if you're not going to be um, enticing to your husband, then you're sort of letting, you know, not abiding by what God would want you to do and fulfilling your God given duty, which is to produce more Christian children, of course. And so I think it was, you know, it's, it's this undercurrent that, your goal is to please your husband, um, which in turn pleases God. So, and not to make your husband stumble into lust. So if you're not pretty enough, then your husband might be tempted to lust after another woman and maybe even go as far as having adultery, which was a terrible sin. Um, so it was all these levels of, or layers of, um, of duties and, um, obligations that were just expected of you. Um, and I mean, I, I had it pretty bad in that, or I mean, I was from this very fundamentalist background and watched my mom um, do absolutely everything that my dad told her to do, basically. And she was pretty much a doormat um, in some ways. But then I also see that she bought into it herself and chose that lifestyle herself to some degree. To me, I was brainwashed to believe that I was less than a man, um, that I had to serve men and that I had to serve God, um, and that was example to me by my mom. So I got out of it through a lot of trauma and my husband cheating on me and realizing I didn't want to keep my kids in an unhealthy relationship, and I would basically have been just repeating what my parents were doing, and I, and I got out of there, thankfully, not soon enough, but after 20 years in the marriage. Um, but my mom still remained you know she still remained marriage married to that man for 47 years before she finally left him so whether she was brainwashed herself at you know the age of 27 when she bought into christianity whether you can be brainwashed later on in life because you can it's um so much easier to brainwash a child <laughs> right so so it, it really does seem to boil down to the oppression of women and men being able to control women. And so to the point where it's a woman's fault if, if her man commits, if her husband commits adultery um, and she should have done better and she should have saved him from committing adultery by being more attractive herself. Oh, definitely. And I, I lived with that for eight years. My husband had a, an affair when I was, let's see, 32 and had another affair when I was 37. And 
Yeah, and so I didn't that, leave. And that was your fault, I, I'm assuming then. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, of course, my fault because I wasn't um, as skinny as the two people who he had affairs with. I wasn't pretty enough. I didn't have blonde enough hair. Um, I wasn't as outgoing enough. Um, yeah, and so I you know, always felt inferior. I mean, even if he hadn't had an affairs, I, I never, ever felt like I could live up even to his the example that his parents had been, I mean, his mom had been, his mom was a very skinny person. Um, so yeah, I never, ever felt like I, I, um, <laughs> could live up to the standard, but I mean, that's a standard for our society too. I'm sure other women feel that way, even if it's not put on them also by the church. Um, so yeah, it's, you do feel like it's your fault if your husband commits adultery in any way. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I, it really does make me feel sick to, to think, yeah. just to think that people think that way. It just, it's, it just feels so grossly unfair and um, such an oppression of, of just women. And, and to think yeah. that then you can, you can rile behind that and say, well, it's in the name of God, so it has to be right and nobody can argue with it. I think that's where it really makes me feel sick about mm -hmm. it, that, Basically, if you say, well, this is in the name of God, then no one can say anything about it and nobody can argue. And anybody that does argue is wrong and a sinner, um, mm -hmm. which, oh, would, definitely. which would make me both of those things. And I'm quite happy <laughs> to be called either of those things. I think that, um, it does sound like a feminist issue. And um, oh, yeah. I think that feminism really helped me personally recover from anorexia. And even though I was not somebody that enjoyed being underweight, and I certainly didn't develop anorexia out of a desire to be underweight or anything like that. But I think that, that just the feminist movement and me understanding that you cannot suppress your natural body weight and be a feminist. You really can't because mm -hmm. if you're suppressing your natural body weight, even if you're not doing it intentionally to conform to some ideal of society, people will look at you and assume that you are. And so yeah. that actually helped me be even more determined to eat without restriction and not to not suppress my natural body weight, just because I did not want people to look at me and think that I was conforming to the ideal of what a woman should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally can see that. Yeah, the suppression, the, but feminism, when I was growing up, feminism was a bad word because it meant that women were equal to men and that was not taught, taught in the Bible. Nowhere is, nowhere is it taught in the Bible um, about consent. You know, women are never told to, um, you know, men, men aren't said, well, you have to have, men aren't told you need to have consent from the woman before you can have sex. I mean, they, it endorses rape and all kinds of horrible stuff. And, and, and just even do women have the right to speak up? No, women are supposed to be quiet. And if they have a concern, they're supposed to go home after church and talk to their husbands. I mean, men, women are less than men. And that's what I believe. That's what I was taught. That's all I knew, you know. And so if that's all you know and you continue to stay in that bubble bubble by staying friends only with Christians and reading only Christian books and reading the Bible and going to church, you don't know what it's like on the other side. I was just totally naive to know what feminism really was. Mm. But now, I yeah, I can see that that's, <laughs> you know, it, it it's just that autonomy to know that I actually count in this world as much as anybody else instead of 
feeling like, no, my, my goal on earth is to serve. It's either to serve my husband or my children or God or all three. And right. I, I am very, very new to this. So <laughs> moving back to the, the whole sort of um, diet clubs in, in, in churches, I think the reason it, it just kept on niggling at me so much was because it's like general diet culture that is really awful um, mm -hmm. anyway but it's like that on steroids it's like that mm -hmm. with with god behind it and and it just terrifies me actually because diet culture is bad enough without religion getting involved in it it's bad enough that people feel that they should be suppressing their body weights and that's just what we do it's bad enough that people think it's normal to be on a restrictive diet it's bad enough that people think that they have to be working out for hours and hours in on end in the gym in order to be able to eat and that all of those things have become normalized in our culture but you take that and then you put god behind it to people that genuinely believe that uh, they will not go to heaven or whatever unless they please God. That's terrifying. Yeah, in some ways, it the the diet culture is a continuous thing that's going on in every church. I mean, if the pastor's talking about gluttony um, and it being the sin of gluttony and the the sins of the flesh, and you know, there's apparently seven deadly sins, and that's one of them. You know, there's lust and slothfulness and these things, then. It's it's just always there. It's always on your mind. All of these different sins that you have to be aware of and you have to keep working at because the goal is to be perfect. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, it talks about, you know, you need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the goal is always perfection. And in our society, what we're told perfection is, is skinny. You know, we're never said, you know, your goal is to be happy. That's never a goal. It's just this constant working. Um, and you just never feel like you're off the hook. And I'm, I'm saying this after I've left because, you know, if you'd had this conversation with me seven years ago when I was still in the religion, I, it, that was normal. I wouldn't have seen that as wrong. I'd see, no, that's good. You've got to keep working on yourself, you know. <laughs> so, so it's just always there. How do we help people out? I spend a lot of my day... Um, trying to combat diet culture, even if it's just putting something into the world that says, like today, it's Black Friday, putting something into the world that says, you know what, you don't have to feel guilty for eating a load of food over Thanksgiving, get over it. <laughs> like we do not yeah. have to have this food guilt. How, how, do we, how do we help people that maybe are in, um, in religion and are being given messages to the contrary that they actually do have to feel feel food guilt and they do have to diet and they do have to do all of these things and they do have to suppress their body weights. How do we help them out? Well, for me, you know, I was think back of what helped me out when I was um, starting to see this. It, it's, it's knowledge to me, knowledge gives uh, empowerment. And so as I became aware of, you know, my own issues with food, in an, in new eye, you know, with new eyes to see this wasn't my fault. Um, all of this diet culture is around me. I, I'm not the only one feeling like I'm failing. That helped me out a lot. And so I think just giving, um, making that information more widely known, the more it will infiltrate but what the about, culture. What about that, that sort of conflict of Maybe somebody's listening and they're thinking, well, frankly, I, I sort of do agree with this, but 
Um, and I don't want to diet anymore. And I, I, I don't want to be a, a slave to my husband anymore. But then also at the same time, not wanting to go against or, or leave their church or leave their religion, because I actually don't, I don't have much against um, religion in a sense. I, I have problems when, when things like this happen, but it's, it's kind of like, well, maybe a person wants to just have more freedom and they want to be able to eat what they want. Um, but they also don't want to say, well, you know, like sod it to my religion. I'm not, maybe they're not just not ready to do that, but they do want to sort of have more freedom. Yeah, for me, coming from a fundamentalist background where we believe the, the Bible literally, um, I don't know how you can actually have autonomy and freedom without throwing it all out. Mm. I, could, I couldn't do it. And, and everybody that I know who was part of that religion have, want nothing to do with me. Because in my eyes, in, in their eyes, I'm sinning. And I used to be one of them. And I would have judged myself as a sinner, you know, and living a life as a heathen. And so I totally know what that's like. And that to me is where this brainwashing is really, um, really strong. So to me, the best thing for people who see that they want to have this autonomy and are tempted to, you know, to to say, yes, I want to be more free, but I don't want to leave, uh, leave the religion. To me, that's, that's already a progressive religion. And um, I think it's also important to, like, to, to make space for not all religions and not, not even all divisions of Christianity or anything are, are like that. My, my mother is she's Christian and go to church and they have a lovely village church in England, but they sit around and eat mince pies and drink wine after church. <laughs> and I think that's why this was just such a wow to me to hear that there are diet clubs in churches because the, the sort of church that I, I grew up around in England was just the loveliest place and everybody was accepted and anybody could come in. And I can't even imagine somebody any diet talk going on at all. That would have just seemed actually anti the 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 nature of the place and and the notion of acceptance of all people mm -hmm. um and so i'm actually used to to thinking of churches somewhere where actually they just kind of eat a lot of cake and sit around they <laughs> always have they always have tea and cake after sunday service and sort of sit around just socializing and things like that mm -hmm. so but um i think so it's important to know that we're not talking about we're not branding all religion as as anti-feminism or anti um eating because yeah. it's not, that's not the case but there it, it obviously is the case in some sectors and that's what we're talking about today yeah and I don't think the men in the in the fundamentalist religion I was part of would say this at all I mean I don't remember ever there being a diet club for the men it was it was the women I definitely was part of the group that their goal was to be a BMI of 18 you know or 16 or whatever and so and if you weren't that you better keep working on it <laughs> so so it wasn't you know it wasn't like every single person in the religion was on a diet but no. um it, you know because we would have potluck dinners and that and but for the women that I know of that were my friends, we really had to work on it. And some of them became addicted to exercise and that's how they kept the weight off. And I always, you know, I always envied them because I didn't like exercise. And so the only way I could keep my weight off was just to keep dieting. So, mm. And I think that another reason that it, this just really upset me is because from the from the experience that I'd have had, I I had of what what church life in a in a village in England, that would be actually a sanctuary away from things like being a slave to the treadmill and worrying about what 
one looked like and all of those things. And it really was. That was sort of a place what was totally immune to all of those things that might, you might see in our culture. Uh, mm. And so it really upset me to think of that not being the case um, <laughs> for mm -hmm. a lot of people and that actually a church being somewhere that, that heightens those um, diet um, and restriction and excessive exercise principles. I think too, you know, the, the part is, it's relevant based on what, what the church believes about the Bible. So to me, maybe the degree that people take the Bible literally and take, you know, so much of scripture literally. And so if the scripture, you know, talks about your body being the temple um, and you just take that literally, I mean, there's other religions, you know, that, you know, the Jews have to eat kosher food and Mormons, they don't drink wine or coffee. You know, there are other um, mm -hmm. sects and cults and religions that have very strict rules around food and restrictive eating. So the degree to which they people take the Bible literally in every verse and scripture. And, you know, if it says um, that your body is the temple of the Lord, then you think, okay, well, I better have a perfect body and every single bite that goes in my body better be, better be the best thing and better be healthy and better be, you know, organic. And, <laughs> and that's a, that's a funny thing that you get with lots of different, uh, what I call diet cults, um, be it paleo, be it gluten-free, be it sugar-free, be it vegan, whatever, is that it is taken on rather like a religion and people get very um, overzealous about it and try and pushing it onto other people and judging other people as wrong that aren't doing that exact same thing. It, it's kind of wild and it, it actually really interests me a lot how mm -hmm. close these things are, how close religion um, can feel to, to diet clubs and diet um, cults. It's mm -hmm. like why, why it, what it interests me as to why our brains or people's brains tend to latch onto, oh, this is my club. These people are all doing the same things that I'm doing. These rules are right and everybody mm -hmm. else is wrong. Like how, why humans do that, especially with things that um, are food related. Well, I think if you see these short term results um, and you have success, you know, so say you have been overweight and you do go on a diet and then you have success in the short term and you do lose the weight then you become an advocate and a, you know you preach the gospel of that diet at that time but what happens is we never hear the fallout if supposedly 95% of diets fail in the long term 100% of them work in the short term 95% of them fail in the long term we never hear about the 95% we're no, still right. we're still talking about the 100% that succeed in the short term and so I, I think part of it is, you know, the, yeah, the diet culture is just so integrated in everything. And then when I think the other thing that I'm starting to realize is with in, in Christianity that I was a part of, um, um, your passions were supposed to be squelched. Like you weren't supposed to have sex unless it was, you know, basically mm -hmm. for procreation, mm -hmm. not to have um the you know any of these lust lustful things that you might want to do you know you couldn't dance I mean when I was growing up we couldn't have alcohol we couldn't dance we couldn't watch movies you know all those fun things in life and and so you know eating fun food food couldn't be seen as a good or a pleasurable thing and if it was then you're sinning in that way too so maybe right. people who take on some of these 
diets that are not very fun. It, it could be the martyr syndrome that people will stay in the diet, you know, because the martyr syndrome is very real in, in, in Christianity, at least, that, you know, you need to suffer in order to get higher up on, you know, the rankings. And I, I also noticed the martyr syndrome becomes really um, real in, in people with anorexia. Um, it really seems to get developed. For me, I know I was, I was a complete, I was a martyr about so many things. And that's actually not me naturally. I'm naturally someone that quite likes to have fun and uh, quite like takes pleasure in a lot of things and enjoys doing so. But mm -hmm. when I had anorexia, I, I was a martyr down to the point of like, I was just always the person up doing the dishes or cleaning the house when everybody else was sitting around drinking tea and having a laugh. And mm -hmm. I'm not that person. I'm not a martyr. I want to be the one sitting, drinking tea and having a laugh. So mm -hmm. um, it, it, that really fascinated me about my own self, how um, energy deficit and triggering of anorexia actually turned me into this big old martyr. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of the most joyful things about recovery is that I don't feel any guilt now about being the person that's sitting around eating cake, drinking tea and having a laugh. Um, I don't feel any need to be the person that's up cleaning the house anymore. People knew me and have no, you know knew me up till the age of forty as being that kind of person. I was the one doing the dishes and doing everything for everybody else, and I just that was what you were expected to do. And when I started to pull back from doing all of those things, I felt a lot of guilt. I'm not as bad now, but um, it was a lot of guilt thinking I should be doing all of these things for other people. Well, I just think it's a really interesting conversation to bring up. It certainly opened my eyes to. Um, what may or may not be happening. I can't assume that anything about what's happening in a church or a religion, or um, I guess. And I think I'm, I'll be more aware now of wondering what dietary restrictions may or may not be going on. And, and um, arguably restriction and suppressing your body weight is not health. It's not healthy. That mm -hmm. is not looking after your body. And so maybe turning that around and being able to explain to people that if you really want to look after your body for God, and I'm not going to judge anyone's motivations, and if you believe in God, then that's fabulous. I really don't want, I'm not here to judge that. Actually, that health is not restricting what you're eating, and health is not suppressing your natural, wonderful, beautiful body weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just defining health for everybody is going to be different. And for me, I had to actually identify and realize I was not healthy when I was slimmer after I'd been on paleo diet. I, I wasn't healthy. I had all these health problems, but I ignored those because nobody else said I wasn't healthy. I was, right. you know, I looked healthy according to society and I sort of lived with those things. They were inconveniences and nuisances and a pain in the neck or, you know, joint pain, literally yes. other things that I had. And I just put up with them. I, I guess I didn't think that I could um, could be free of any of those health concerns. I sort of just accepted them. Oh, these must be genetics because yeah. my mom's cold all the time. My mom, right. I realized, is actually a really unhealthy person, even though the world would see her as being healthy. Yeah. But she's had health concerns her whole life, and she keeps adding more health concerns to her problems. But I think she's, you know, basically been anorexic most of her life. Restricting food is not healthy and suppressing your body weight is not healthy. There's some health issues have completely disappeared that I had lived with for decades. You know, I would have never 
ever found this freedom unless I had gone past this, gotten to this new weight. You know, I would have lived with those and assumed, I would have assumed that those were my genetics, that I'm always going to be this way. So I think that was really eye-opening for me to realize. That's the thing. Suppressing your body weight means you're underweight, mm -hmm. regardless of what your weight is. Even if you're, if you're a BMI 24, but your natural weight is 26, and you're suppressing your body weight, you are underweight and your body's in a state yeah. of stress because it's supposed to be a BMI around 26. That's just, that is what suppression is. And so I think that if a person is suppressing their body weight by restricting food, then they absolutely mm -hmm. actually should stop doing that. Yeah, and that's very radical to health. say because um, that's, not what, that's not what society says. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> society hasn't been working no. out too well, has it? Let's face it. When we knew mm. less, we were probably better off. Um, we, we only know yeah. enough to be dangerous, it seems, <laughs> um, as far as nutrition goes right now. Where can people... So your, your podcast is called Women Beyond, yes. Women Beyond Belief, right? And I'll link to oh, that in you. the show notes if um, anybody interested... I actually think it's a, as a, from, even from a, as, a, as an atheist, I actually find this a very interesting topic. And I also find the topic of people leaving religion quite interesting as well. When I left religion, I couldn't find any podcasts or resources from a woman's perspective. And I just thought one reason I started the podcast was to, to feature women and to say who, who out there is, you know, telling their stories and who else has gone through this and what's it like and everyone every woman's story is unique and so hopefully I'm you know meeting meeting some people's needs in terms of feeling connected and feeling that they're not alone because I did feel very much alone several years ago and so I'm hoping to fill that void. Big thank you to Wendy for coming and talking to me. I just thought that was interesting not completely like my normal podcast. I usually talk to people who are eating disorder experts and so slightly different to talking to somebody about religion and leaving religion. But I hope you found that interesting too and maybe sort of made you think about some things. It certainly did me. So thank you for listening. If you have any topics that you would like me to talk about on this podcast, then please email me at info at and you can tweet at me. Um, it's at love underscore fat underscore and I just started a YouTube channel I'm not very good at it I have to admit I'm completely new to you doing YouTube so my videos are all over the place and I'm not getting the camera angle right but it's Black Friday today so I'm going to buy myself a microphone and a tripod and maybe do better but Stinky does appear in most of the videos that's not entirely planned either but he seems to be liking YouTube <laughs> anyway so you can find my YouTube channel if you just Tabitha for our on YouTube and it should come up. Let's hope for the best day. Eh? That's what I always do.